Welcome to Trinity Radio. You have found the Christian channel that loves atheists. But today I have someone with me who definitely loves atheists, gives atheists a platform on a regular basis. I am speaking today with the voice of one of the most popular worldview discussion channels. It's a neutral platform, as they always say. But I've got the voice of modern day debate with me here, James Coons. James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I've, I was just telling you, and I'll tell everyone here, that I, I'm, I've known about you for a long time. Obviously, you can't step into this, this uh, arena of worldview discussions online without knowing about uh, Modern Day Debate. It's one of the few channels that I go to on, on a regular basis, almost on a daily basis, checking out what's going on there. And, uh, and I want to also say how much I've not only personally appreciated and learned from things on that uh, channel, but also, uh, and it's linked in the description. Everyone should go check it out. Um, but, but also, you personally, even before the channel was was as sizable as it is now, your channel or my channel, not that my channel is anywhere near where yours is at, uh, you were so kind to reach out and encourage us and things, and, and that just meant a whole lot. So it really is an honor to have you here, James. That means a lot. And I'm glad that you're doing apologetics on YouTube. It's well needed, and it's cool that... YouTube is a global platform. You know, there are people from all over the world listening to those apologetics videos. So great job. Yeah. So listen, what I wanted to do today is I wanted to uh, hear a little bit about you, but then I also want to ask you some of the questions that I have about modern day debate. Uh, some are just for my personal curiosity of what you thought about a particular debate or something like that. But, but really, um, one of the things that I think is going to be important here is in that I want to let you speak. And I know you've done this uh, on your own channel and elsewhere about some of the more controversial things that have happened on modern day debates and get your take on how uh, maybe a Christian ought to feel about that or just a person with a YouTube channel ought to think about these things. And uh, but but first, let's get to know you for just a second, James. Uh, you were just telling me you're working on a degree and you've, you're all over the place now, modern day debate and probably life and career has got you across the, the map in the United States at least. And, um, and I just want to hear a little bit about you. So how did you come to faith in Christ? Maybe that was a lifelong thing. Maybe that happened later. And well, let's just start there about your Christian testimony. Yeah. So I was, I grew up in a home that was a loving home, but it wasn't really a Christian home. It was my siblings that we were encouraged, you know, we were kind of, was, you had to go to church when you we were really young but I think that if you were to ask myself or my family, we would have said that we are some sort of, what's the phrase? I can't remember if it's from J.P. Moreland or someone else. Uh, they had said, I think it was moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's more of like this idea that we believe in a God because it's maybe comforting or maybe conveniently my ethics at the time would have aligned with a God of my own making rather than scriptural ethics. And when I was 20, I, at college, started thinking like, oh, I'm curious. I want to learn and understand more. And that's when I started actually reading the Bible as well as going to a Bible-believing church that would uh, consistently and, and with Christian friends kind of learning and became a Christian when I was 20. And that's when there was actually a turning in my behavior where it wasn't this kind of, like I said, convenient, like, well, you know. I think it's, you know, like, what harm is it uh, where I was just kind of doing my own thing prior to that? So there's genuine repentance. And then 
Yeah, I think that was, for me, the hardest thing, more so than the apologetics type questions, was being confronted with the gospel, thinking, how could I be forgiven for all of the things I've done? Is That was the hardest hurdle for me, is just thinking like, oh, I really don't deserve this. I don't, I, I don't know if I can be forgiven. There's just a deep conviction. And apologetics was important to me because I still had many other questions, but that's it in a nutshell. So I'm 36 now, so that's about 16 years of being a Christian now. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. And ultimately, that is the most important thing for those of us who are believers, is that you have placed your faith in Christ, turned from your sin. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but our intention is to live for Him and to live in His kingdom. And so what, so it wasn't apologetics that ultimately uh, got you, let's say, but w- what was it about apologetics that interested you such that you would start a channel that has now become iconic among those of us who are in this space? What what led you down that path? Yeah, so I'll mention that in a sec, though I do want to say thank you for bringing a greater bringing focus to Christ in my little mini testimony, because I, yeah, the way I stated it, it almost sounded as if it was a workspace salvation. So I, uh, I'm still waking up today, but yeah, I <laughs> un, undoubtedly is being confronted with the, the gospel, the good news. And so thank you for keeping it gospel. You just couldn't accept and, how good it was that, that even, even the stuff that I know in my head, you know, none of us are as good as everyone else thinks we are, or at least few of us probably are as good as everyone else thinks we are. And and um, in in our, in our own head, we know the the sort of depravity that is there. And so, for any person, even if they haven't done what the world would consider these big, awful, ugly, horrible things, uh, it's hard to accept that Christ would forgive us and love us, and uh, that God would look on us and see uh, the sacrifice of His Son. But that's just how good the gospel is, right? Amen. It is, and I'm so a hundred percent. God's forgiveness is big, and it's um, we have a reason to be grateful and to live in return out of love. So, Amen. For me, becoming uh, turning the channel into modern day debate because when I started, it was modern day hysteria where I would cover apologetics and kind of politics, and it was my own kind of commentary video. And then modern day debate came from because during the modern day hysteria portion of time, I would go on other channels and debate. And sometimes I felt like it wasn't that neutral or fair. I, I kind of expected like a more official or more neutral channel. And I'm not going to name anybody. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But I would notice that the moderator, for example, would jump in pretty consistently. It's kind of systematic where they would take one side. And I was like, oh, you're never ever fact checking some of his more far-fetched claims. So I thought, you know, I'll start my own channel and that'll be the big push. And I actually started it. Not because I wanted, although I'm, I'm grateful and I'm like pleasantly surprised that the audience really liked the idea of like a neutral platform. That branding, having that be the center of our brand just seems to resonate with people the most based on feedback. But I originally did it because I thought we, we could get debaters to come on because I thought, how am I going to get debaters to come on, especially when there are so many channels bigger than modern day debate. And... Sure enough, debaters appreciated it, but I was even more surprised, pleasantly surprised that the audience was like, yeah, neutral, like that sounds cool. I like that. Everybody just across different demographics that really resonated with people. Okay, let let me stop you right there because that I don't want to break your flow, but I do want to put a pin in that because that is something that we'll come back to in a little bit. Um, 
But it's important for the audience to know that, and maybe even people that watch Modern Day Debate to know that even though you personally are a Christian, and even though obviously you're going to have your own political views and all the rest, the truth is the, the channel itself you felt was best served by being neutral. So it's not a secret that you're a Christian. Most of the people who watch know that you're a Christian, but that's not, this channel is not just to, supposed to be a pulpit. This, this is a neutral platform where at least in principle, when you show up on that screen, uh, you're, you're going to receive all the um, benefits, appreciation, time uh, that, that the other guy will, right? Right. Is that we want to be right down the middle on every aspect. So we link both speakers. We get, we try to give them equal time. Of course, that's, I think the most important thing. I think another thing is that I want to be fair that like, for example, Justin Brierley has done a fantastic job moderating in an, a fair way. And so I love, un, I've listened to unbelievable for a long time. It's not that he's in any way, not neutral. It's that some people might be concerned, and maybe this is petty, so maybe not that many are concerned. If they go on an atheist channel for a debate or a Christian channel, whatever it is, they might feel like, well, I'm going on, the, you know, it's a debate. And even if it's moderated fairly, some of them might be concerned of like, ah, but in a way I'm kind of implicitly promoting this channel by going on there. Like it's, I'm helping them produce content, right? I mean, it's necessary you have speakers for the content. And so some people maybe would be like, eh. and I've noticed that on Twitter where sometimes people get in a spat and they'll say, well, let's debate this. And they go, okay, great. Come on my channel. And they go, I'm not going to come on your channel. You're, you know, some right. communist or whatever it is that they have the critique of. Yeah. And so they say, okay, fine. Well, how about this modern day debate channel? And so it's even neutral in the sense that we don't have any position statements other than that, you know, we've kind of taken a firm stance on that we're for neutrality and we're for even hosting the controversial debates, but we haven't taken any positions on, let's say, the channel saying that X view is correct. Yeah, and you feel like that serves the channel uh, because you've been doing this now for years, and as far as I've been watching, you have consistently been neutral. And so as a result, now those people know, well, okay, I know that James happens to be a Christian, but but this, I, th I can feel good on this channel because he always treats everyone fair and equal. So that that makes that makes some sense. But I didn't mean to break up your flow about the channel, but I think I guess you kind of answered it. No, that's good. I'm happy to like we will go wherever it goes. Like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, OK, is there let me ask this in a way to. Uh, well, first of all, do you have family? Do you have a wife? Are you married? I'm currently single. Once I wrap up the doctorate, I think I'll have more time to, I definitely want to settle down. I am, let's see, it's really hard to date between the dissertation and modern day debate. So I plan on once the dissertation is done, moving back to Texas and then settling down. So yeah, I do. Uh, I'm just a single guy that is for the longest time. I've been kind of bouncing around for different cities for different degrees, which has also made it a little bit more challenging because, you know, if you, well, my question was going to be, how did you have time for all of this? And my question was also going to be, what does your wife think about it? But if there's no wife or woman in the picture right now as a significant other, then you've, then that answers that you've got, you've got more time uh, to, to fill in some of those spots where family would become super important. You can, you can be doing work and moving around. Uh, That's mystery. true. It makes, yeah, you know, cause when I do have a family, I want to put, I want to spend my time with them. And mm -hmm. so I will have less time for modern day debate, but 
I also work like crazy and to the point where I, I have to change that a little bit because, you know, you can do anything too much. And, but yeah, I generally, I, like I'm waking up and I start getting started on work of some type and then it's like pretty much that the whole day and almost every day. It's very, I like it. I enjoy it. Like I'm excited about modern day debate. I'm excited about my doctorate. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think I watch way, I, I watch about 20 minutes of Disney plus to fall asleep at night. That's about <laughs> all I do in terms of like my pure leisure. Like I, I, I'd say I probably do more than that. I take a little breaks throughout the day, but it's the idea of like, so anyway, yeah. What are you watching on I'll Disney to, plus? I have to know. Uh, right now I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. They just added the Praise Indiana the Lord Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah. So those are a lot of fun. And but otherwise I usually watch Marvel or Star Wars. So do you know someone pointed out to me the other someone pointed out to me the other day that and we'll move on after this, but someone pointed out to me the other day that in my debate with Matt Dillahunty during the QA, I asked or someone said, What do you want to believe? And he gave his answer. And I said, Well, I want to believe there's going to be a fifth Indiana Jones film and that it's going to be incredible. So now there is there is a fifth Indiana Jones film. It remains to be seen if it's incredible, but I know I'm going to be thrilled either way. Yeah, I have to at least watch it. I have to give it a shot. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, so in case someone doesn't get too far into this, if you had to give them one debate from your channel, that you'd say, look, this is the one that I tell people, hey, go check that. And maybe that's different based on their interests. But, it, but let's just say you didn't know much about their interests. You just wanted to suggest one of your debates that you think shows what you guys do really well. What, what debate comes to mind? Is there good evidence for God with Mike Jones from Inspiring Philosophy, the YouTube channel, versus Matt Dillahunty? That was oh. our best debate. It was everything about it was peak, where the arguments from both sides, uh, two of the best debaters that we have on the channel, I think probably the two best, and also the production value was way better than our average. So that was shot at the Atheist Experience Studio, and you have to watch that debate. It's excellent, excellent debate. Uh, Mike did an incredible job and got Dillahunty to admit and say some things that sounded really uh, like he was he was giving up more than I expected. I agree is that I appreciated Matt's authenticity in yeah. that at the end of the debate, this is just one interpretation, is that, you know, it almost sounded like matt was kind of open to there being this creator this just don't call it god in the universe right just just kind of like i don't know what i want to call it uh and so yeah you have to watch that debate it it, it was so good just because like i said you're absolutely right it the debate eventually came to the point of where it's like what are we what are we going to call this thing Right. <laughs> yeah, we've all discovered God here tonight, but what are we going to call it instead of God? That's not fair, but I'll tell you what, you should listen to the debate. And I did a debate review of that debate on this channel. So people can go check out after they see the debate right here on Trinity Radio. Yeah. hundred um, percent. So, okay. So that is an awesome debate. I really, really did enjoy that one. Um, now, is there a debate that looking back on it, you wish you hadn't done? Like after it was over, you thought, I don't know, man, that was a train wreck. That didn't help anybody. Is there a debate that comes to mind like that? Yeah, let's see. And maybe you yeah, don't I'd want say to say it's... so because you don't want to insult the debaters. Oh, <laughs> I, can, I can't remember his name anyway. There, there was a gentleman that I think had to be trolling us where I, I don't think he was sincerely defending a 
some sort of new age position that I don't think he was even really believed in it. Uh, it got so far fetched to him, like trying to conjure up like cooked chickens in his hands. It was weird. And <laughs> it was really, <laughs> that was really long ago. Uh, we haven't had him on again, <laughs> but it was, that's where I was like, okay, is this wasting is complete waste of time because there's something about, there's something more, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with devil's advocate debates, but our audience has always enjoyed the debates. They haven't gone for those. We tried it before and they didn't go for it. I think they just, there's something about competition that's entertaining and fun. And by the way, I think that sometimes competition gets a, like a bad word, a bad connotation, especially in the context of debate and discussing ideas, which I don't, I, I'm, I would push back against because I think it's true. You could be competitive such that you're not listening to the other person's arguments, but I don't think that necessarily follows. You could be intently listening. And in fact, if you're really competitive and you're a good debater, you have to, because if you don't address their arguments directly and refute them, you're they're like, you're kind of giving them ground in the debate in terms yeah, of- Yeah, you're tacitly conceding whatever they said. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that cliche of, I don't like debate because when you're debating, you're only thinking about what you're, what you're going to say next. You're not listening to the actual person. And I'm like, that like doesn't follow at all. Like if you're a bad debater, that would be true. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, I think they're just, I think our culture is a little bit too polite. I think that we've gone, you can have, like I said earlier, you can have too much of anything. And I think that politeness is one of those things where it eventually it gets to the point of where like, oh, you know, debate, it's, you know, like someone's trying that, you know, like, oh, they're saying that someone else's position is wrong and that theirs is right. How how bad? And I'm like, is it bad? And I'm like, I don't see why that's bad. I don't, doesn't bother me if an atheist or a Muslim or whoever it is tells me like I'm wrong and they're right. I'm like, okay, it was like, what do you think? Doesn't bother me. And, but for some reason, our culture, I think is hyper polite in terms of, oh, that's too far for some people. I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And as a Christian, I'm with you. I don't have a problem with someone telling me I'm wrong. Uh, I don't have a problem hearing an atheist told they're wrong or a Muslim told they're wrong. Now, this does get into, we're kind of buttering up to kind of some of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about specifically, and I want people to hear you talk about this. You have talked about these sorts of things publicly before. This is not unique to us, but um, if I recommend, when I do recommend Modern Day Debate, and I have recommended it to so many people, some people, some of the time, I do add a little bit of an asterisk next to it, and what I say is this is this is a great channel, but there are a couple of things that, I'll, that I might want people to know, uh, especially if they're not used to online debates. Uh, and that is you have had some very um, out there type topics and therefore some very out there type debaters. So, for instance, mm -hmm. you've you, you've done certain things that we do see in the worldview space every now and then. You've done the flat earth discussion uh, multiple times, I think. Um, and, mm. and I can see how that could be super interesting. You've done Bigfoot and I can see how that could be interesting. In fact, I did watch the Bigfoot one. Um, one that comes to mind, though, as a question that I wonder in your mind, and I know there have been some people who've said this, is when it comes to specifically things like um, uh, white supremacy uh, or, or things like that, close to that. Um, there, there could be someone say, okay, look, 
atheists and Christians and, and a lot of other worldviews could all sit around and agree with you. Uh, and we could all, we all kind of could agree like that's evil and we don't want to promote that. Um, and don't want it to make it look, uh, give it more influence than it otherwise would have. And yet you are saying all these things about how everyone, it should be neutral. Everyone's got a chance to at least speak and, and have their views exposed and discussed. But I think you did get some criticism. I'd just like to hear your response to that and uh, kind of how you think about, and maybe your opinions have changed over time. I don't know. Uh, floor is yours. Yeah. Glad you asked because it is a question that I take seriously. So for me, there are a couple of factors. Uh, well, one really quick like prerequisite is that we technically, and I'm not saying this as a defense of myself because I think it, it's not getting at the core issue yet, but just to be sure that everybody's on the same page, that we technically haven't hosted like a debate on white supremacy per se because YouTube would give us the boot. We've always avoided topics that we you would say we're kind of cutting off the branch that we're sitting on in the sense that YouTube would potentially kick us off the platform or, or give us a strike. However, it is true that we have hosted what I think it would be fair to, as, a, as I understand it, we have hosted people that seem to be bona fide white supremacists. And I'm... I've hosted them knowing that was the case. And the reason that I have is because I think that kind of in that spirit of competition that I mentioned, I think that the arguments against white supremacists, you could say that you could say the anti-Nazi type arguments are stronger than the arguments for some sort of neo-Nazi positions that are out there today. So when we've hosted these people, it'll be on more peripheral topics like race and crime, let's say. So not white supremacy per se, but I got the you. idea okay. is when we, and that's a peripheral like point. So I want to, it's a, yeah. In other so words, you are, you're, that. you're bringing out you, what you want to make clear is even if people who are those things have ended up on the channel debating, it, they weren't directly debating that question. And so we were, right. we may have been platforming them, but not that question. And we were platforming them so that they could present pushback on yeah like how does it relate to crime and things like that right and and like i said i think that still that doesn't get at what most people are most upset about most people i think are still like well james that that doesn't matter that much to me i'm just upset you had richard spencer or whoever it might have been nick fuentes is the reason that we have like i said is i do think that the arguments against these uh you could say neo-nazi like or type arguments are better such that I think it's a public good. Like, I think that when people see these white supremacist types make their arguments and then they see the other side rebut it, I think that's a good thing that people are seeing like, oh, okay, so I've never heard this side before. But rather than being caught, you know, maybe being indoctrinated by these white supremacist types and not hearing the other side, I think it's good that modern day debate is offering this conveniently in this single video where they hear that for the first time, maybe, and they also hear the rebuttal and they say, oh, OK, so, yeah, like he said this, but it's not as simple as he originally made it out to be. Yeah, I think there's a value. It's almost like a vaccine. The original idea of a vaccine was that you give someone a small bit uh, or like a weakened version of a virus or whatever, maybe a disease, and then you let the body kind of learn to grow and adapt and be able to fight it off. And I think that that's what these debates have the potential to be. And uh, I'm just amazed that, I, so for me, it's very intuitive that I, I think like I, I'm surprised that so many people are upset 
because I'm like, you you do think the Nazis are losing, right? Like, you don't think they're winning the debates, do you? And they'll be like, well, no, I, I don't think they're winning. And the common objections I get might be, well, but James, maybe it is the case that the anti-Nazi people have better arguments. But what if the Nazi types, what if they, you know, maybe are more persuasive because they're more attractive or they're more charismatic they have a better sense of humor and i would say there is research that's looked at this question so it's called uh the seminal paper like the kind of the groundbreaking paper of which this is considered theory in social psychology meaning it's had it has mountains of evidence behind it many many papers replicating it and finding it to be the case is that when you do look at attitude change when you do look at people hearing a case for something peripheral type arguments or you could say ways of reasoning such as the attractiveness of the speaker or the charisma of the speaker are less persuasive than central modes of argumentation like evidence-based logical arguments so in other words if you do think that like i said i think we all agree on this hopefully is that if you think the arguments against Nazis or these Nazi-like positions are stronger, which I think we all agree on that, well, then even if the Nazi is good-looking or charismatic, the empirical research, and this is from Petty and Cassiopo, 1985, is the paper that I mentioned, the seminal paper, suggests that the arguments are going to win out. That's what the empirical... And so I think for me, I, I think, well, a lot of these people's objections are it just seems to be opinions or speculations and i've given them you know i give a pushback with this empirical data and i've been surprised that some people sometimes really educated people with a couple with doctorates where i say about well here's my response in petty and cassiopo 1985 the elaboration likelihood model is what i've been talking about what's your response like, well i i haven't really read this stuff i'll have to get back to you and I think it's fine to ask the question and be like, James, you know, are you sure this is good? Fair enough. But I'm just surprised that some people there before even doing that, they go to Twitter or Facebook and they say, we're going to boycott modern day debate. And I'm wondering where does this, this huge amount of confidence come from when I give the, just the slightest pushback with evidence and they just seem to uh, disappear. Like they just don't have an answer. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Overall. Um, uh, you see, do you, I guess it's kind of like the American, ex, the best part of one of the best parts of the American experiment that we're all in the midst of, which is to say that you can throw out uh, truth and everything else in the marketplace of ideas and the truth will win out. Uh, people will be able to see the truth and, uh, or at least they should be able to see the truth in a situation like that. Um, yeah, so, the, you know, so there's, I got two follow-up things that just kind of come to mind. One of those is actually another question that could be considered a, a criticism of the channel in general. And, uh, and, and so you, you know that we're friendly here and I'm a fan of the channel. So I want to ask this from that perspective, but you know, years ago, like in the two thousands or, you know, the mid two thousands, if you wanted to see uh, debates, between Christians and anybody else, you would go on uh, Apologetics 315 was around at the time. And there were there were a few other places where you could find web based videos. And you would find like J.P. Moreland or William Lane Craig or Gary Habermas debating 
or Mike Lycona debating all these all these skeptics on a stage somewhere, and someone someone like uh, the Veritas uh, Veritas I forget group pro project whatever not the Veritas project but the Veritas something it was a Christian organization that worked on college campuses and they would get these guys and line it all up and set it up there. And you had this, like the, you had like one of the very best Christian debaters up against one of the very best thinkers from the other side, uh, both experts. And I really, I'll just say it this, maybe I'm just horribly biased. I didn't feel like our guys really lost too much. I thought we always had good showings and on online now, and this isn't just because it's modern day debate, but just the nature of inviting you know, someone without a lot of credentials is sometimes the person who's got the truth doesn't seem to do that well. Now, if you're an atheist, you might think, well, yeah, you would say that if you think your Christians are losing. But we could we could uh, pivot this to think about a lot of the different kinds of issues that come up that aren't related to the religious debate. You've probably seen whoever you are, your person defending your favorite position do poorly uh, again, because the other person was a better debater or, or maybe they had the facts or whatever. And so um, as a Christian on. So there's two questions here. As a Christian who is trying to run a neutral uh, platform, I'd like to know, like, how how do you go about thinking about who you, who should be accepted or invited? And how do you feel about the fact that, yes, yeah, sometimes our guys don't do as well. A lot of times they do seem to do better, but it's it's tough. And uh, then if you want to take the Christian side out of it altogether or the religious side, even with something like the aforementioned discussion about uh, how people feel about um, white supremacy or whatever, um, one of those guys could conceivably do better if you just have a bad debater. So there's a ball of criticism. Deal with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So in all of these cases, uh, so I think that the first question at least that i was starting to pick up and let me know if i'm getting it right though might be if it is the case that many of these let's say christians are losing and i would admit that sometimes christians lose debates i don't know what percent of the time it is it's actually a lot of people i don't know if they realize like for me it's a keeping an eye on the debate and simultaneously the questions that are coming in for q a and stuff like that it's a i don't always get to evaluate the debate in as clear uh, and fully with my full attention as much as I'd like. But anyway, so maybe it is the case that many Christians lose. I would say if you were to, I think you shouldn't weight it too heavily. The reason, and I think that's all of modern day debates, debates is the reason is, let's say as an analogy, we had the Olympics were, you know, uh, just kind of a random, you know, instead of it being like the best from every country, let's say it was kind of a random selection. Like there's like kind of, you know, random picks. And then they played each other with these random picks from each country as representing the country in those events or sports. It wouldn't be very meaningful at the end to say, wow, you know, like the US is the best or whatever country is the best because they had the most gold or silver, bronze, et cetera. Because you'd say, well, but what if it's just a random kind of pick? where it's like these different characters kind of ending up there, then I don't know how meaningful it is. The reason that the Olympics is meaningful is because it's the best from every country. And the same way when it comes to these debates, like religion, for example, because it is true, I think that a lot of times it 
debates in the atheist community, it's just very common that atheists, for some reason, just love debating so much. For every Christian I get requesting to come on for a debate, I get like five or more atheists, maybe 10. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's like there's way more atheists that want to debate. It's just more of a it's in their culture or something. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I would just say that if you see, you know, two random guys debating and in one case you see like the Christian lose, well, it's kind of like in the Olympics, like if it was just a somewhat of a random drawing, like modern day debate, like I can't, it's very difficult for me to like really evaluate and be sure that the debaters are matched in skill or intelligence for every debate or any debate even. Uh, so for me, I would just say, I wouldn't weight it too heavily. What's most important is when you look at the best from each side, who looks like they're winning the most. Mm. And I would say that, frankly, we don't have, uh, this isn't meant to be a put down. We have good debates for sure. And we have good scholars and, and things, but I don't think we have the very best very often. I think if you wanna really get the very best, you ought to go to the peer-reviewed philosophy papers from people like Plantinga or Craig or Swinburne. And on the opposite side, people like Graham Oppie and reading on kind of the old juggernaut atheists like Mackey or uh, was it, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, the well, you always hear today Oppie and Sobel, and then you have Roe for the evidential argument, Mackey for uh, the illogical argument. But yeah, you, you could, you could, Go to those on either side. I, I like what you're saying here. And and I, first of all, it's very humble because you've built this platform, but you're here to say, look, part of what this platform is, is we're not throwing Olympians out there sometimes. Now, we should say uh, you've had Michael Brown on the show. You've had, uh, who are some other, Cy Gart has been on the show. And these are, I mean, Cy Gart was in Christianity Today. Um He's a scientist, Michael Brown, very well known. So you have had some heavy hitters. David Wood, I, I would qualify, I would count David Wood as a, as a big dog who's been on your channel uh, quite a bit. So, and, and I, it looks like he's given you uh, some nod to post some of his older debates, which I think is fantastic. So, so you ha it, it would be wrong to hear my comments and hear me saying, oh, well, this, this place only has lowbrow debaters. That's not true. Uh, it's got some from all of it. And it also would be wrong to hear me say, I think that the Christians on there lose a lot. I, I don't think that. Um, but I just, I guess it's a question about how you decide to vet people on either side of this thing or any side of this thing uh, before having them on. And maybe what you're saying is, well, you know, I, I do make choices. Like you admitted the one guy, we, we haven't had him back on. But honestly, I, I do want it to be kind of a, a, an open door where people who have something to say, can possibly get a chance. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I, we are. We do want to keep it open. And we also, and I want to really quick, before I address this question of like, how do you vet? I'm going to come right back to that. So I actually answer it. But I do want to say, I want to apologize if any, if it came off the wrong way, if any speakers feel like, ah, James, like I was on your channel and like, I think I'm a good debater. I'm not saying they're all bad. And I'm not saying that they're all average. We've had some stars. Like we've had some debates where I was like, wow. I was like, that was, you know, like we've had some like, uh, like people that are like borderline brilliant, no joke. Like one of our debates was David D. Friedman. So Milton Friedman's son, who's, I can't remember. I think he's an economist at Berkeley. 
against Richard Wolff, who got his PhD from uh, Harvard. Like we've had some, and, and we've also had religion scholars, like, you know, top-notch religion debaters. And I also don't want to make it seem as if it's only about credentials, you know, because some of these debaters are really good. Like Mike Jones doesn't have a doctorate, but he's a fantastic debater and he clearly understands arguments that are at the peer review level. So long story short, I just want to be clear that we do have those on. I think that's kind of, it's becoming more common now too, that we have those on because with a bigger base, a hundred thousand subscribers open doors for us. But in the past, especially when we were starting out, you know, it was, we didn't, it wasn't as easy to get as many of those people and our network just wasn't as big. We hadn't done it as long. So we had a lot of people on that were, you know, less competitive. So anyway, um, well, I'll tell you, there's a benefit to this that I see too, that I've thought about many times. Me and another friend here uh, at Trinity Seminary have talked about this is, is that, okay, if, if all you had was the PhDs all the time, well, there's a good chance you would hear a lot of the same things all the time. Uh, you, you would get, you would, you know, like I cut my teeth on listening to debaters over and over, you know, and they use the same arguments every single time until you knew those arguments so well, you, you were thinking of them when you're sleeping. Right. Um, yeah. and, and that's great. It does kind of, uh, solidify those arguments and the reasoning and all the different criticisms that can come. But with modern day debate, there have been times where there's some person on the other, you know, that, that is taking my position on a t particular thing, uh, or, or somebody else. And this could be like gun control or anything, you know, it could be, it could be any particular topic. And after the first two minutes listening to that person, I think I'm not going to get anything out of them. They're not going to do a good job. This is going to be awful. And then by the time, by the end of the debate, well, it turns out I've actually picked up some things precisely because they don't just say the same thing that all the books say. They've done their own thinking on this, maybe without a lot of the shepherding, you know, that, that a university degree might bring or uh, listening to some apologist or counter apologist might bring. And they end up stumbling across a really good point that, that I hadn't thought of. So there is a benefit yeah. to that, that it does cut through some of the monotony and give you some new stuff. That's a great point. You do. There is a lot of variety. And so if they're not simply, I don't want to be too hard on those that are kind of considered higherbrow, you know, that, that can be the temptation for higherbrow debaters is to only use the arguments that have been through the ringer and like the peer reviewed uh, level, for example, or, you know, maybe like Craig type arguments. And I think you're right that if they are not focusing on that as much, you may hear new ideas. I heard, like, I can think of one where I don't think she had any credentials and she brought up an argument where I was like, wow, that was like, that was great. It's like all these years, I never thought of that. And I had never even heard it. And I thought, wow, I was like, that's so, so there's all sorts of people that, yeah, there's a lot of variety. And I think that can be a good thing too. But in the vetting yeah. question, we frankly, it's very difficult to meaningfully vet. So this kind of selection system where people might, I can tell you this, because like this is the field that I'm working on in my doctorate. When you select people for a job and managers say, well, you know, I listened to them in that interview and I, I'm a, I got a pretty good eye for it. I've got, you know, my gut usually leads me pretty well just based on what I'm hearing in a 20 minute or 30 minute interview is the research shows that that doesn't, it's not a, it's not a good predictor of performance in a job. So for me to listen to a debate, it can be informative because there are those cases where it's like, wow, that person's much better. And there are some cases where they're much worse. 
but there are a lot of cases where it's like ah, okay that person's like maybe in the middle and that person's maybe like one standard deviation above the average like they're good but like are they you know excellent like yeah so for me to watch a lot of these debates it could in some cases maybe vet out uh some of the worst people and that i can concede i think one thing that we do now that's almost acting like that is we when we have a new person on we do it we almost always do a two versus two with them and i i can pair them with a good debater it's kind of like in the movie gladiator where they would pair you had a red or you had a yellow uh i think they would put paint on your wrist or something yeah because they were trying to pair like a good and a bad warrior and it's like the, it's like that when we do these two v2s we try to pair the newcomer with somebody that's for sure a strong debater and that way even if they are not very experienced yet we know that there's one person on that side that can kind of toe the line to some degree. So, okay. Um, what would you say is, do do you have a debate on the resurrection that you are particularly happy with? Let me think about that. I'm trying to, what would be the best one? I wish Mike, I don't think we've had Mike Jones debate on the resurrection yet. If that was, uh, if we had, it would be his probably. (laughs) I'm trying to think of who else we've had that's argued for the resurrection. Did you I have, have uh, on that one. did you have, um, oh, I can't remember the name, uh, the, well, we'll let it go. There's a, there's a scholar I was thinking of that I might've seen on there, but let, let me ask you this of the debates you've had, like I'm thinking of debates from a while back, like you had, um, inspiring philosophy versus T jump, uh, only once, right? Right. What is there a debate that you, where you with two debaters that you would like to have again like have those guys rematch or talk about a different well, topic i've the one i mentioned earlier i have asked mike if he's open to debating matt dillahunty on the resurrection at some point i think that would be epic i don't know you know uh mike usually he'll debate someone he's kind of like i want some variety i want to move on and so mike will usually kind of do it once maybe twice so maybe someday if enough time has passed i can convince mike but i don't blame him for you know he's kind of like oh you know i want to debate other people too and and all you know, he also wants to debate new topics, and so that would be the one that I'd lo- I'd want to see. You did have Michael Shermer on Modern Day Debate to debate IP, and and I enjoyed that. He's one of the old war horses, you know. That's right. He's not that one of the four horsemen, one. but he is one of the old war horses. <laughs> That's true, and I, Mike is such a good debater, mostly. Uh, probably mostly because of his preparation. Like Mike prepares like no other debater. He reads everything. There's no stone left unturned. He will have an answer for everything in his debate. And he's also quick on his feet. He's intelligent and he processes the information fast. And the other thing is, uh, hold on. Why was I saying that? I was bragging about Mike. I can't remember why now. Well, because (laughs) we're talking about Shermer and we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I got it is that that debate, Mike uh, Jones did fantastic. And I'm not, I'm not saying Shermer didn't do fantastic, but I think that that was a debate that showed a lot of people that some of these people that you would normally think of on a pedestal, or they seemed like they were kind of like, oh, those are like the very best. Mike Jones has debated some of those guys. He's divided, like for example, Shermer, and I don't think that that debate, uh, let's see, how do I put this? You can say it. Come on. I th- it was pretty clear that Mike Jones laid the smack down. 
and that Mike Shermer <laughs> and a lot of these new atheist types, I think Mike Jones would lay the smackdown on Dawkins. That's not even like nobody really disagrees with that. Because, you know, yeah. Richard Dawkins was like his likes, you know, oh, like, ooh, was when he, you know, someone say, I think there is evidence for God. And you'd go, which God? And, you know, the atheist <laughs> would be like, oh, yeah. And it's like, OK, this, like, this is like the, the stuff that people are getting excited about is that it showed that a lot of these guys that just because of the media, just the way it played out in the media is that they were kind of propped up to be these like, and that's the thing too. Like if you watch Hitchens versus Craig, I mean, like it's pretty obvious who won. There's just no, like if you think, if you think that Hitchens won that debate, I'm like, wow, you really are like, you seem to really, your confirmation bias must be off the charts. I'm encouraged that Luke, I think it was Luke Melhauser, one of these atheist bloggers at the time, like the apologetics 315 era before YouTube debates, Mm -hmm were super common, like MP3s were common. You'd be listening to them on your iPod and stuff. And I think it was Luke Melhauser. It was an atheist blogger. And he was saying like, uh, Hitchens got spanked by Craig, which I liked that he was so honest because some atheists were like, no, Hitchens like destroyed him. And it's like, what? He like didn't even address arguments. Like he didn't, he didn't like at all. Like he didn't say anything. And so. It makes me think that the people that are moved by that are, um, the rhetoric is is a powerful force for them. You know, um, we've heard this from in Muslim debates with certain types of Muslim apologists that it's uh, like Muhammad Hijab or somebody like it, the, the rhetoric is really important to what he's doing here. And apparently a lot of people really respond to that. And of course, Hitchens in a completely different way was was ve- very rhetorically strong. He was also a smart guy, but he was very rhetorically strong. And could make could make it sound like what you were saying was just absurd, even if he gave no proper rebuttal to it. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that people such as Dawkins, Hitchens, the reason that of the four horsemen, so you had Daniel Dennett, Hitchens, Sam Harris, and Dawkins. And of those four, it was very clear who was the least popular one. It was the one that actually would have been able to give like a much stronger a case for atheism and against religion and that was daniel dennett who's a professional philosopher i can't remember if he's where he's at but but he's considered like one of the best and he lives he in was baltimore or boston it seems like boston I think, yeah maybe. It's, a, it's a big time university i just can't remember and it's which one he but he was in terms of like giving good arguments like someone who could really think and also their kind of reasoning based on like what's the argument very analytical rather than emotion type appeals, which was like mm-hmm. Hitchens main you know, weapon by far. And yeah, I think it, I think you've got it. I think among those uh, four horsemen, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and then I might put I might put Dawkins before Hitchens because just because of his just because of his uh, science background, academics, all that. By the way, if you're hearing sirens, I'm 13 floors in the sky, but there's apparently something horrible going on down, down street level. So, oh, wow. but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I th- and I think you're back to your original point. Someone like Michael Jones uh, would be fine. At the very least would be fine having those debates with those people. Yes. I, yeah, I think that absolutely. And if you're going to watch debates on modern day debate and you want to, that's the, that's where it's more meaningful. If Mike Jones keeps dunking on his opponents, I'm not saying he's dunked on every opponent, but I am saying he's dunked on most of them. 
And it's kind of like, well, that obviously you should take that into account if you're watching the, because I, th I get this all the time. And frankly, I think it's like this implicit peer pressure or maybe just they haven't reasoned through this very much, but I get the funny thing is I used to, I get it from flat earthers too, where they say an atheist, not all atheists. I don't want to paint with broad brushes because there are a lot of atheists that I really like, and they're really intellectually like sharp. So, but some atheists that you're like, James, how do you, uh, you know, I can't believe you've been running modern day debate for five years and you are still a Christian. And I'm like, well, like for one thing, if you watch the Mike Jones debates, I think like Mike Jones, like it's, there's something there if Mike Jones keeps, keeps winning. So while there are some Christians that lose, like if you look at the best Christian debaters on the channel, they've got a pretty consistent record. And yeah, the other in thing fact, is, go ahead. There, there, there's a, there was a debate, maybe the last one that IP did on your channel. Uh, it was with somebody, I don't remember who it was, and he presented his digital physics argument. And the other guy was basically just like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> You know what I'm talking yes. about? I know which one. You don't have was. to name. You don't have to name the guy. <laughs> I'm a good friend with it. Like I, I like this guy. He's a yeah. political debater, and he's considered one of the best, maybe the best. He's certainly king in the political debate sphere online. Mm. And he got to the point with Mike where that argument. You're right. He basically said, "Like crap, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this right now." Which I love his authenticity. It was more that he just hadn't, I mean, cause that's a weird argument that, that you won't hear popularly from anyone except Michael Jones. And so, you know, the guy just wasn't that familiar with it. That's not on him. You know, you're going to ask me about quantum mechanics uh, on, on this live stream. I don't have any idea. <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's yeah. understandable. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. but yeah, I, uh, also that, you know, like, I try to encourage people that when they do say, James, you know, you're still a Christian after all this time. And I say, you know, like I highly encourage you to, to even if you, you know, I think it was P O J M A N Poman. Uh, there's a philosophy of religion reader book that you'd get for a philosophy of religion class that you took at a university. And by a reader book, I just mean it has different readings from different philosophers at the peer reviewed level. You can get it on Amazon for like five bucks, get an old version. The arguments don't change that fast in philosophy. And you can read some of these, like you had said, like William Rowe, the inductive problem of, uh, of evil, the probabilistic argument. You can read the classic from Mackey. You can read response from Plantinga. Is that, like, this isn't that hard. Like, I'm not trying to be mean. Like, but I just, I get, I'm not saying you, you have to choose between YouTube debates or reading peer-reviewed literature. You, you ought to do both if you enjoy these topics. And so I highly encourage people, you know, if you just type that into Amazon, Pojman, I think is, if I remember right, philosophy of religion reader, it's a textbook you'd get in a philosophy of religion intro course. You can read some of the readings and voila, like you've already, you're starting to get acquainted with the peer reviewed literature. And I think that that can go a long way. And it can also show people where it's like, uh, yeah, I agree. Like in some cases, if it's random people on the internet, yeah, sometimes they're going to be these what's the word i'm looking for mismatches you know one side just looks terrible but why would you why would you wait that heavily when it's two random people on the internet i yeah. i don't get that that's a good point if the criticism is well look james sometimes you get random people from the internet and they don't do very well then you just say well you answered your own question they're random people from the internet. 
right yeah exactly yeah. is we have never said that we do have some debates that are like wow like we're grateful that we had those guests because they're like highly esteemed and their arguments are fantastic but there are many debates we we never said that we were only hosting those and we have been pretty open about the fact we even used to kind of hand it have it in our branding like our about section where we'd say you know we want to give the average joe a shot and yeah. we don't do that anymore because ideally we kind of keep upping the quality of our debaters but there are only that's the thing is high quality debaters are in demand everybody wants them they don't have a lot of time so we you know i think it is pretty clear that you have that there has been a, a trend toward better uh debates i'm not going to say better debaters better debates you know you may have had great debaters in the past and they're better now you know but but things have have been in a good direction i think well you know, I, I don't want to keep you here all day. I do have at least one more question about debates in general. Since you've been watching these debates, well, I guess this is two questions. First of all, has there ever been an issue that because of one of your debates, or at least it began with one of your debates, you've moved on that issue because of the or even changed positions because of something you heard in one of the debates? I don't think that I, I definitely have changed positions on certain things. So for a while, I was kind of skeptical of the moral argument for God's existence, where I was kind of like, eh. and then Mike Jones, I think it, it was in his debate with Skylar Fiction. Mike Jones restored my faith in that argument. I, in other words, he gave a rebuttal or a defense of it, I should say, that I was like, oh, OK, that was that's backing up the concern. I That's a kind of putting to rest the concern I had with the argument. There was another one I mentioned earlier. I can't, I'm trying to remember her name. We haven't had her on as often as Mike, because I can't remember her name, but she had come on and she gave a response to Judith Jarvis Tom, uh, Thompson's, is it Thompson? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, the argue, the violinist argument. And she gave a response to it. And I said, oh, I never thought of that. That's a really good point. Like, I wish I had. <laughs> so there are the abortion debates the the abortion debate now that's a good question what topic seems to bring out the most people it's not probably what most people would guess uh for some reason it's flat earth probably all things equal okay i don't understand that i don't frankly i don't really like those debates myself but the audience votes with their feet they watch those their their retention their watch time is really long and they click and I, so, I mean, they enjoy it. Like a, a 30 minute watch time for a YouTube video is fantastic. Who, who does the best, yeah. who does the best job defending flat earth? Austin Witsit gets it is his name. He's the most, uh, I'm not saying his, uh, let's see. I'm not a flat earther and I'm not saying his arguments, like I'm not saying I've come to his position or something. But he's certainly a very confident, which, by the way, it goes back to those like that Hitchens type rhetoric in mm -hmm. other factors. You could say, again, these are peripheral factors and which is why I'm not so worried that, you know, like if we did theoretically have Hitchens on if he was still alive and he was dunking on everybody. I don't know how much attitude change that really does bring about because so many of his like persuasive factors were not central. They weren't evidence based logical arguments. They were these things like emotional appeals and confidence in how he spoke that makes such a big difference in a debater mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also by the way i think even as sad as it is i suspect that even his like really uh like pleasant accent played a role in part of his likability 
no is, doubt. and why people love listening to him is, you know, he, I like, like, I love his voice and his, I like, so anyway, I enjoy listening to the guy, but, uh, in fact, I, now, if I go back and listen to an old debate, it's hard to pass up Hitchens. Um, okay. This is the last question. What format do you think is the best format for online debates? Let's see. There's something, there's like this interesting phenomenon where Mike Jones has noticed it too. We've talked about it. That theists, and I'm sure you've noticed it, you've watched a lot of debates, theists tend to do better with more formal, you know, 12-minute opening, 8-minute rebuttal, 5-minute rebuttal, 5-minute closing, something like that, compared to the open dialogue. Atheists tend to do better with open dialogue. I don't know exactly why this is, but I think that there's a real pattern there. So I think it kind of maybe it depends on what position you take, which what you'd want. I personally like the more formal because you know for a fact that everybody's getting equal time. Hmm. Because even during the dialogue, you could have, there are these things that happen, such as one, you could theoretically have someone getting a bit more time than the other. And if it's not a significant, like if it's not a substantial difference, you maybe don't notice, but technically in a way it's skewing the debate in their favor. The other thing is who's in the driver's seat of the open discussion seems to be a big factor. If you're the one asking the questions and like basically interrogating the whole time, that I think that generally gives you a, a good advantage, at least if you're asking the right questions. So I personally think that structured debates have more, they help you focus on the arguments themselves more rather than these other more peripheral things. Well, and as a moderator, I would imagine that'd be easier. I don't know if you saw the debate we had with David Pullman and Godless Engineer. Did you happen to see that debate? I think I had seen it. I, I think I hadn't watched the whole thing, but I know that I had seen it come up in my recommend. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a couple of months ago. And yeah. the, I, I was criticized for not stepping in more and, and giving Pullman more floor. And, you know, I was I was letting Godless Engineer talk too much. And so I'm trying to learn how to be a moderator, but I can see the value in if it was all formal, then I don't have to worry about if someone's getting to talk too much because everybody's getting to talk the same. Right. That's a really interesting point. And I'm going to make a note about this. Christians like formal atheists on average seem to, in your experience, seem to prefer open dialogue. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. And also in the open dialogue, there is some research in psychology that religious people tend to be higher on trade agreeableness personality wise, which just means that they're more cooperative. So, and I've seen this play out in a lot of different ways, such as like what format or topic the debaters will agree on before the debate. I try to like tell Christians, like you can say no, like the topic they offered, if you don't like it, say no, especially because if, you know, if they reached out to you, they're the one that wants the debate more say no and tell them that the what topic you'd prefer because this is fair to negotiate you're not like bad to assert yourself right and some christians not all but some christians maybe like have to get can work on being a little bit more assertive the other thing is even during the debate they might be more cooperative such that they're like oh i was like i don't you know do i want to interrupt this guy he's been going on for a while and i personally like i'm happy to and i wish i try to encourage christians to do this more if you're in an open dialogue it's fair if the atheist brings up an objection, even to say right there, say, oh, well, before we cover our others, can I address that? Because otherwise, sometimes it's hard for me to remember all of them. Let's let me do one at a time. That's fair. And it's good. I think the Christian should do that. 
And sometimes though, you know, I'm not saying this about Pullman in your debate that you hosted, because it might just be that he's like kind of cooperative and he's kind of easygoing. And it's sometimes too, though, I've sometimes jumped in where I'm like, ooh, this person might be so cooperative that I got to advocate for them. And I have to make sure the other debater, I say, hey, one sec, I just want to, we haven't heard from so-and-so for a while. I want to be sure they have had a chance to say something. Sometimes they don't have something to say. They're just listening and they're maybe just reflecting and they're still not, they don't have a, a, a round in the chamber ready to fire yet. So yeah. I would say letting it be organic, that's the way we've tended on modern day debate, where if it goes off the rails and they're speaking over each other, we'll jump in. But otherwise we tend to, I kind of give you a thumbs up for letting it flow naturally and not over controlling or over uh kind of like forcing it you know well here's my last last question okay and it really will be um do you see it in your head now i know on paper it's a neutral debate platform and it is in fact neutral in the way you want it to be neutral but in your head is this a ministry of some sort or do you see it as something you're doing ultimately for the kingdom is this what God wants you to do? I guess that's sort of the question I would have. Yeah. So to use a natural theology type of, even though I'm not Catholic, to use a kind of a natural theology, Protestants are, are Protestants for natural theology at all? Is it pretty, like, pretty do clearly what? Catholic? I believe in natural theology. Okay. Because I was going to say, I don't, I was like, maybe I'm, I don't mean to limit it that much or to say that it's only used by Catholics. But my, the fact that I feel like, God has gifted me for this job of modern day debate. I, I do feel like I'm not saying that I'm God's gift to de leading debates or something. I'm, I'm just saying that I do think that modern day debate has grown and been consistent and I'm grateful it's because of the debaters. That's why it's grown and because people have been supported. We get so many shares per video, which I'm super grateful. But the point is, I do feel like I'm kind of, my skill set is happens to match with this. And so I do in a way that makes me think like maybe this is my calling. And I do in a way see it as a potential ministry opportunity. Like an, I'm encouraged that a lot of atheists even, because I thought I was like, oh, this might be not neutral. But in the description box at the bottom, I put, hey, I'm a Christian. If you ever have a hard time, if you're going through a hard time, you can reach out to me at this email and whether you want prayer or if you just want someone to listen, I'm willing to do either or both. And I'm encouraged that I've only gotten one complaint over the five years and I've gotten actually for that complaint. Uh, I don't know if he's an atheist. He just said, he's like, I don't think this is very neutral. I've gotten more atheists who have said like, that's cool. Like, I know you're a neutral platform, but it doesn't bother me. And I don't feel like you're breaking any rules or being inconsistent. You're just like trying to like subtly offer to help people. And so I'm encouraged that that's been, and there have been people that I've gotten to like listen to in, in their hard times where it's a ministry opportunity to try to support them as they process or whatever it might be. So some really heartbreaking stories sometimes. And so I feel like it's in that way, a very clear and direct way in which I can do ministry. And I suppose like if my, being honest or if I like, if I can be honest and I think as a Christian, if we can be people who are, as Paul would say, like, you know, be above reproach. Like if I can be a good leader and I don't like, I'm not saying I am, I'm, I'm saying I can work toward this and keep improving, keep growing. 
is that that's a way in which we can witness when they know that you're a Christian. It is, it's a little bit hard for me because I'm like, you know, I want to, like, I believe in evangelism, obviously. And so I'm like, I, there's a part of me, you know, like that wants to be able to assert it through modern day debate. But there's also a part of me that's like, this is, there may be different ways of doing ministry. And I'm still, like I said, it is like in the description box, it's very frank. It's like, Hey, I'm a Christian and I'm happy to be and here. And you. you're bringing on people who can be your voice for that. The Christian debaters that you have. You know? That's so true. And so, yeah, it is a way in which ministry is possible. And I, I do feel like it's definitely my calling. I'd like to do it for a living once I get done with a couple of other things related to my degree field stuff. So, yeah. Well, man, I want to tell you what, this has been a blast. I've enjoyed this uh, even more than I thought I would. And I thought I would enjoy it. So I want everyone who watches this, if you've especially if you've made it this far, check out the link in the description. Go to Modern Day Debate. Find a debate that looks interesting to you. If you don't know where to go, click that. Uh, go find that. Well, we'll link it. The Inspiring Philosophy and Matt uh, Dillahunty debate. And you're, you're going to love it. You may not understand exactly what IP is saying at first, but stay with it. It'll come together and it's going to be awesome. But this has just really been fantastic, James. And I'm really glad that we've gotten to, even if only virtually, look each other in the eye because uh, we've known of each other for a while and we've talked and communicated. But this is great. And I, I hope that we our channels can be friendly for a long time. So thanks so much for coming on here. Is there anything you want to say to sum up? Thank you for having me on. I'm excited that you're doing this apologetics ministry through YouTube. It's an interesting, oh man, I know you've got to go too, so I don't want to take too much. No, time, it's, I'm, I'm just worried about you. There's a, this super interesting thing that's happening in apologetics online right now, which is Islam is coming on the scene and it's growing rapidly in YouTube. And Christian apologetics has been on YouTube and it's, there's like this interesting dynamic of, you have David Wood types who, if you were to push them and say, well, you know, do you want to kind of like loosely speaking, align yourself more with the atheists against the Muslim apologists trying to make their case for Islam or so, which I feel like David would kind of say like, you know, David, an apostate prophet who is a yeah. non-theist of some type, I think they are like two peas in a pod <laughs> critic, mm -hmm. you know, attacking Islam apologetics or whatever you'd call it. Dawa. So then though, you have Cameron uh, Bertuzzi who had recently put out a tweet, which I also was kind of like, okay, that's uh, get that too, which he had said, we as Christians and Muslims should be not partnered, but aligned to some extent in pushing back against the atheist influence online, which I see that I can see that point of view too and I it makes me think like, uh, J james it makes me think about that christopher hitchens william lane craig debate you mentioned before because in that debate hitchens says well wouldn't you rather me be an atheist than a muslim and craig's like i have no preference between the two right yeah <laughs> that's right I, that was what that was funny that was like the yeah. funniest part of the debate by far and right. that was yeah so is that it's it is like that and it's also mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see where things are going, where they'll go. And I'm, I'm excited, like a cool Mike Jones. I'm not saying that every Christian has to do a Muslim apologetics. Uh, but, you know, it's cool that Mike Jones is entering that sphere now. And not fully, still addressing atheist arguments. And, you know, I don't think Christians have to decide, like, are they going to align with one view more than the other? It's just going to be interesting to see the way things play out in the next five years. 
because people like Daniel Hukigichu are growing so fast. Muslim apologists, uh, hijab has been big for a long time. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because we have like yeah. a new uh, participant in the debate world that stepped in this third party where it just changes things up. And Islam is growing it's... at such a rate that like globally, I think as Christians, one point, one argument is we're like, well, you know, atheists have a huge influence online. They do. At the same time, like globally, according to the Pew, uh, the, the Pew organization, which is considered on the peer reviewed, Islam is growing way faster than atheism and atheism is actually shrinking on a global scale as a proportion of our people on the planet. And Islam's probably potentially outpacing Christianity. Rodney Stark's a sociologist. That's like you said, Christianity is actually growing faster, but whatever it is, Christianity and Islam are kind of on this collision course and it's just going to be, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's a, it's an interesting time. So what I took from what you were saying is whether this was what you intend or not, I think you'd agree. God has different kinds of Christian apologists out there and thinkers who have different, um, sort of, um, temperaments and things like that. And that's probably good. Right. I a hundred percent agree. Some will have the calling to engage with atheist content or arguments or in Maybe they don't uh, do either of those. Maybe they want to engage with Mormon arguments or something like that. I think that's totally cool. So I'm not trying to force or push anybody in a direction. I'm just saying there's on the online debate world is things are changing and it's, it's interesting to see which way it'll go. So it does yeah. seem like the Muslim stuff uh, in terms of its online presence in the worldview debate space just blew up over the past couple of three years. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I wish I, well, I'll, I won't keep you, but this has been fun. So I've enjoyed this. Yeah, immensely. man, this has been a blast. I feel like I made a new friend, even though we were already friends before, but listen, everybody check out uh, modern day debate and pray for our man here that he is able to finish his degree and find a woman if that's what God wants for him. And uh, with that, James, goodbye. And we'll see you all next time on Trinity radio.